April of 1963, when the computer revolution had just begun, the pioneers in the field coined a brand new term. In those days, not many people knew how to operate a computer, and those who did made some mistakes. Sometimes these new experts entered the wrong data, only to discover a universal truth. If raw data is bad, the computer can't do much with it. What you put into the computer determines what comes out. If you put the right data in, hopefully the right answers come out. However, the reverse could also be true. In order to express that truth, a new word was coined. It described in four letters both the cause and consequence of putting the wrong data into the computer. And many of you know what word I'm talking about. The word is G-I-G-O. Garbage in, garbage out. Those four letters summarize a huge truth. What you put in determines what you get out. And if your input is garbage, guess what your output is going to be? And what is true of computers is also true of the human mind. That comparison is timely and appropriate because the human mind has often been compared to a computer. In fact, the human mind is far more complex than the most advanced computer ever designed, but the basic principle is still true. Garbage in, garbage out. What we put into our mind determines what we get out. I read somewhere that the average person has 10,000 separate thoughts each day. Now, aren't you glad you came today just to know that fact? 10,000 separate thoughts every day. That works out to be about 3.5 million thoughts every year. And if you live to be 75, you'll have about 26 million different thoughts in your lifetime. Already most of you have, have had uh, one or two or 3,000 thoughts since you got out of bed this morning. And you'll probably have another seven or eight before you hit the sack tonight. Then you'll start all over again tomorrow. Every one of those 10,000 thoughts represents a choice that you need to make, a decision that you need to think about. So, suppose someone gave you $50,000 this morning and said, spend it any way you like as long as you spend it all before bedtime tonight. I'll bet you'd sit down and think hard about what you could do with all that money. How sad that we devote so much time to how we spend our money and so little time to how we spend our thoughts. How sad that one seems so important and the other sometimes so trivial, but are our, our thoughts so unimportant? Ralph Waldo Emerson said, beware of what you set your mind on because you will surely uh, become that thing. Norman Vincent Peale said, change your thoughts and you change your world. Henry Ford gave that truth a little different spin when he declared, thinking is the hardest work in the world which is probably why so few people engage in it. And then I ran across this perceptive comment. Two thoughts cannot occupy the mind at the same time, so the choice is ours whether or not our thoughts will be constructive or destructive. So my whole message this morning can be summed up in four words. The choice is yours. God gave you 10,000 thoughts today, but it's up to you what you do with them. In the New Testament book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul speaks these words of encouragement to us. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. 
Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. Remember what I said just a few moments ago, the choice is ours. God gave us 10,000 thoughts today, but it's up to us what we do with them. And if it's true that two thoughts cannot occupy this, the, our, our mind at the same time, and the choice is between positive or negative thoughts, how do we stack up? First, I want to talk a little bit about four kinds of negative thinking. So many people struggle with negative thinking, and sometimes I think that's the default position for a lot of folks. And we know that negative thoughts poison the mind and ultimately the soul. So here are four very common examples of negative thinking. And the first one is self-pity. We fall into this trap sooner or later. All of us do. Life is hard for us. And as the old cliche says, into each life some rain must fall. It's easy to think that somehow we've been dealt an unfair hand in life. While our neighbor is basking in sunshine, we're living in this perpetual downpour. So the self-pitying person says, you don't know what I'm going through. You try living with this 24 hours a day and see how happy you are. The second kind of negative thinking is blaming, and this is kind of the opposite extreme. Blaming is an attempt to find a scapegoat for our problems. We can't face life on our own, so we find another person who seems to be the source of our problems. That person might be our husband or our wife. It could be our children, our parents. Often it's a neighbor, a friend, our boss, someone at church. See, blaming is dangerous because it leads to perpetual victimhood. The third kind of negative thinking is an unwillingness to change. The more or less, this more or less follows from the first two categories. Once we immerse ourselves in self-pity and once we discover that we're the victim, the logical conclusion is that we can't or won't change. Unfortunately, this type of negative thinking tends to reinforce itself. Since we can't change, then our behavior can't be our fault. So we never have to face it honestly. This person says, it's no use trying. I'll never change. I have every right to be hurt. I'm not going to give it up. I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to stop. God made me this way. It's not my fault. And the last kind of negative thinking is anger or bitterness. Usually this is the logical outcome. Once we begin to pity ourselves, we become a victim. But victims can't be blamed, right? Therefore, we refuse to face the possibility that we could be the source of our problem. When someone suggests otherwise, we get angry, we get defensive, we get bitter. We remember every miserable thing that's ever been done against us or to us. 
We stew in our own juices over the slightest negative remark made by someone else. We bristle at any notion that our life could be different. We hold grudges even though we say we don't. And we glare and turn our head when we see the enemy coming toward us because we shut people out cold. You see, our thoughts matter. Negative thinking leads to negative living. But let's reverse it for a moment and look at the benefits of positive thinking. Thinking negative thoughts is not our only option. St. Paul gives us another possibility. Years ago, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale wrote a best-selling book called The Power of Positive Thinking. But he wasn't the first positive thinker. That honor should go to the Apostle Paul. At the end of his letter to the Philippians, he gives a prescription for positive thinking that, if followed, has the power to transform our life. Listen to his advice again. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting them into practice, all you've learned from and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. These verses give us eight questions to ask about our thoughts. Before we think or speak, ask these eight questions. And the first question is this, is it true? This is where we begin. Is it true? true. Truth is always the first test. I belong to a Rotary Club, and even there in an organization of business professionals, the four-way test of the things we say and do begins by asking the question, is it the truth? That's St. Paul's point as well. Before we open our mouth, are we speaking the truth? Do our words have a ring of truth to them? This question rules out all that is dishonest and untrue and unreliable. The second question is, is it noble? Is what we say honorable? Is it it worthy of reverence? Noble refers to that which is majestic, awe-inspiring. The word is used in scripture also to talk about the proper qualities of a leader. Is our thought life honorable? Do we think things that are noble and of serious purpose, or do we dwell on things that are frivolous and trivial? Third, is it right? Are our thoughts and our words in conformity to God's standards? Not is it right in my eyes? Is it right in the eyes of someone else? Is it right in God's eyes? If our thoughts were broadcast for the world to hear, would would we be ashamed? Would we be embarrassed? If others knew what we were thinking, what would they think of us? Thank you, sir. If others knew what we were thinking, what would they think of us? Here's the fourth one. Is it pure? The word means undefiled, chaste, holy, clean. It touches the whole area of moral purity. Is our thought life clean? We used to say, you know, get your mind out of the gutter. Someone has said, if you live in the gutter, don't be surprised that your mind is covered with slime. Some years ago, I found a list 
of some probing questions from the Promise Keepers organization that suggests that men who truly want to live godly lives should ask each other these questions each week as a means of staying pure in a, in a corrupt world. And among the questions are things like, have I been with another person in the past week in a way that would appear compromising? Have all my financial dealings been filled with integrity? Have I spent adequate time in Bible study and prayer? Have I spent quality time with and given priority to my family? Have I fulfilled God's purpose for my life? And then the last question, have I just lied to you? See, the last question is the killer. It's not enough to do all the other things on the list. If we want to come clean, we always have to start with the truth. Here's number five. Is it lovely? This word is used only here in the New Testament, and it literally means love towards. It has the idea of attracting loveliness, like a magnet attracts metal. One person translated it as those things that grace attracts. Do our thoughts automatically attach themselves to that which is beautiful and lovely? You know, a thought may be true and even right, but still not be lovely. So here's a simple rule if it's not lovely it doesn't make you lovely and if it doesn't do that for for the other person don't say it don't think it don't do it don't dwell on it and don't repeat it number six is it admirable that is is it worthy of study and contemplation or is it cheap and tawdry this question asks us to focus on things that are positive not negative constructive not destructive things that build people up not tear people down it means editing our words so that we simply delete the non-admirable things from our vocabulary. You know, some things may be true, but that doesn't mean we should dwell on them. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.12 speaks of certain things that are so evil, he says, that it is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. And I take it that he's referring to certain forms of sexual sin and gross forms of idolatry and certain areas of Satan's kingdom that should be off limits to the people of God. Don't dwell there, Paul warns us. Don't focus on the evil around you. This principle of concentrating on things that are admirable and lovely puts to rest the foolish notion that I hear occasionally that we should expose our children to sin so that they will know what it's like. First of all, our children already see enough sin all around them without any help from us. Second, exposing our young people runs the risk that they may be attracted to it. Because the scripture says that sin is so powerful that we do well to stay far away from it as possible. You don't have to lift the top off a sewer in order to know that it stinks. If that's not enough, the Apostle Paul gives us two catch-all categories, seven and eight. And he says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, excellent refers to virtue, Praiseworthy refers to those things that God himself would approve of. So the final two questions, is it morally excellent? And is it something that God would approve? Taken together, these eight questions point the way toward positive thinking. Paul says, think on these things. It's a command. It's in the present tense. Keep on focusing your thoughts in these eight areas. Find the truth 
and think about it. Find the things that are noble and lovely and virtuous and think about those things. Do all of that and the God of peace will be with you. Those who think on those things will experience God's peace in their lives in a way they never dreamed possible. So that leaves us with one area to consider. All of us fight this tendency to let our minds dwell on the negative. As I said, that is, we're, we're human. That's a default position for so many people. So if we don't want to live there, how do we change our mind? Here are some practical suggestions for those who want to take Paul's advice seriously, and these make pretty good New Year's resolutions if you're still waiting to, uh, to establish a few for the coming year. First, we need to analyze our input. If we want to change our mind, we have to first analyze the input. It all begins right here. Remember G-I-G-O? If you want to put garbage into your mind, garbage is what you're going to get out. This touches so many areas of our life because we receive input from so many sources. What about the music you listen to? What about the movies you watch? What about the radio station that you flip on first thing in the morning? What about the books you read? What about the shows you watch on television? What about the conversations you have at work? What about the phone calls you make? What about the people you date? What about the places you go on the weekend? What about the places you go on vacation? What about your secret habits? What about your hobbies, your daydreams? What about the things you do when you're away from home? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we should destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God and capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. But in order to do that, we've got to look at the sources of the input. You may be suffering today spiritually because you spend a lot of your week cramming your mind with falsehoods and with evil and with impurity. Or it may be that you simply fill your mind with spiritual junk food. And if that's the case, this hour on Sunday is not going to somehow clean you all up. So first we have to analyze the input if we're going to change our minds. Second, we need to change our minds diet. Analyze what we've been putting into our mind and then decide to change. It won't be easy, especially if we've gotten hooked on things like trashy novels and reality TV and soap operas and trivial conversations and living off of gossip and rumors. But we have to do it. One suggestion is, if you really want to change your life, find a friend who will hold you accountable. In my experience, lasting life change happens much faster when we have someone that we respect who's holding us accountable for our thoughts and our behaviors. Here's the third. Examine the influence of your friends. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 warns us that bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. You know what that means? It means if we run with pigs, we're going to start smelling like a pig. Let's face it, we become like the people that we hang around with. If they love to party, we're going to either have to learn to party with them or we're going to have to find some new friends. If they like to drink too much, we're either going to feel uncomfortable, we're going to feel uncomfortable unless we begin to drink like them. If they use coarse language, we're going to eventually pick up their vocabulary. If they are angry at the world, guess what? Pretty soon you're going to be angry at the world as well. 
If they're negative and hostile and critical and filled with self-pity and convinced that the world has cheated them, then those traits are going to begin to rub off on you. So many Christians fall into the trap of thinking that they can lift their friends up and all too often they end up being dragged down. You'll never get a new mind unless you examine your friends and the impact that they have on your life. Here's the fourth. Begin to memorize scripture. Now to be honest, this is a more difficult task for me at my age than it was when I was younger, but if this is something that you would like to do, I would suggest that you begin with the Psalms. It's a great place to start. Years ago, I memorized Psalm 100, Psalm 23, Psalm 90, Psalm 1, and a whole lot more, and I found that the Psalms introduced me to God in a way I never knew him before. Besides that, if you read enough of the Psalms, you discover the whole gamut of human emotions. There's anger, sorrow, fear, despair, frustration, joy, excitement, exaltation, worship. More than once, I, found my, I find myself waking up at night, bothered by some problem or gripped by some fear, and in those moments as I begin to quote a portion of scripture that I've read or committed to memory over the years, I discover that God's word has a way of soothing my soul and chasing away the fear and bringing those problems down to their proper size. So I recommend that you give it a try. As you begin to hide God's word in your heart, it will slowly begin to change your mind. Finally, here's the last one. Remember that you, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. Did you get that? You're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. Philippians 4.8 says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What you think today, you become tomorrow. Your mind is the best predictor of your future. If you think you can't, you probably won't. If you think angry thoughts, angry words, and actions are sure to follow. If you fill your mind with sexual fantasies, your body's going to find a way to fulfill those desires. If you dwell on your problems, you will, they will soon overwhelm you. If you feel like a victim, soon you will become one. If you give yourself to worrying, don't be surprised when you get ulcers. If you think low thoughts, low, low living is soon to follow. If you expect defeat you probably will lose. If you dwell on rejection, you will set yourself up for even more rejection. If you focus on how other people always misunderstand you, you will soon become bitter and angry. See, because what goes in has got to come out. Sooner or later, your thoughts translate into reality. You're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. But you know what? The flip side is also true. If you focus on truth, you're going to learn to speak the truth. If you look on noble things, nobility will mark your life. If you seek out lovely things, your life is going to be lovely to other people. If you dwell on that which is right, that which is wrong will have no more attraction for you. If you think on pure things, you will become pure. If you look for virtue, you're going to find it. If you search for higher things, those things will elevate your life. Here is God's prescription for believers who are trapped in unhealthy living. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Focus on the good, the pure, the true, the holy, the right, the lovely. Find those things that elevate your mind and heart and think about those things. One final word. If you are a Christ follower, you already have within you the power 
to obey this command of the Apostle Paul. You can literally change your mind if you want to by remembering that all that is best is embodied in a person and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He is the noble son of God. He is the standard of righteousness. He is the fountain of purity. He is the one who is altogether lovely, the admirable savior, the source of all virtue, the one whom God improves of entirely. And if we link ourselves with Jesus, we are joined with the highest moral power of the universe. He is the embodiment of everything that the New Testament has commanded us to do. It's all in Christ. It's all in Jesus. Our virtue, beauty, the holiness, the truth, the good, everything is found in him. So listen, let us listen today to the apostles' words. Think on these things. This is not some abstract philosophy. It's really a call to a personal relationship. If Christ is in our thoughts, then all of these other things will fall into place. Let's pray. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior, I invite you to trust Christ and you too can have a brand new life. When Jesus comes into our heart, he gives us a brand new life, a new way of thinking and living. When Jesus Christ reigns in our heart, we will learn to love the good and hate the bad, and we will love the truth and hate falsehoods, and we will love what is lovely and hate the ugly, and we will love the pure and hate the dirty, and that's what happens when Jesus Christ takes control of our life. He changes us from the inside out. And if we just trust him, he will give you his life. He will be your companion. He will lift you out of whatever place you find yourself in today, and he will put you on a solid foundation. He will transform your desires and your thinking. How does he do that? By the power of his transforming life. As you hold on to Jesus, he pulls you up out of that old life, and he pulls you up from bitterness and futility and resentment and impurity and dishonesty and selfishness and greed and pessimism and despair, and he gives us a brand new life. If we want to change our mind, we can. God has put that possibility within our grasp. We don't have to stay where we are. Just take hold of Jesus today by faith. Walk with him, talk with him, learn from him. Hold on and don't let go and take, take Christ into your mind. Do that and your life will never be the same again. Gracious God, thank you for the word of of St. Paul today to remind us to fix our thoughts on those things that are excellent and pure and truthful and worthy of you. We know that we are human and it's so easy to default into negative living and thinking. Help us to find that balance and to find the, that in you and through you we can think positively and we can think about things that are true and holy and righteous and gracious and lovely and that we don't have to live in the old life but you have created a new place for us so help us to find that today through Christ our Lord we pray Amen